The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good morning. And the topic for today is free will. This is, this is often a question that comes up in, well, it comes up, it's, it's actually a question that has come up for millennia. Do we have free will? And it, it comes up in religious contexts, it comes up in philosophical contexts, and it came up at the time of the Buddha, the questions about, you know, um, determinism versus free will. This is, this is not, you know, a new question. Um, people have been debate, debating this question for millennia. And uh, one of the interesting things um, I reviewed, I've, I've, I'm not a scholar of, uh, on the history of the um, concept of free will and whether we have it or not, but uh, I've reviewed some of the basic, you know, threads and flows of this. And one of the things that really strikes me about this question of free will is that um, people define it in many different ways. There's not a single definition of free will. The ph- philosophers that debate this, the, the religious um, sects that, that think about this, very different considerations um, at play in this question of free will. And so this is one piece I want to point to, uh, and that maybe the, the, you know, the Buddhist teachings help us to point to, is that free will is an idea created by humans. And we are debating whether the, uh, our, our being is uh, kind of follows this idea or not, but we, we, we don't have a single definition of this concept. And yet there do seem to be some basic um, pieces that are connected to many of these flavors of what people um, consider free will to be. And um, those two pieces uh, that I want to particularly connect with and speak about today are, you know, so do we have choice? You know, that, that may be kind of a foundational piece in, in free will. This, do we have a choice in how we act? And then, are the consequences of our actions determined or not? And these are, these are um, connected, but they, they have different kind of uh, flavors in them. Um, and so, I want to explore, think about reflect with you, what, what do the Buddhist teachings have to say about these two pieces, about choice and about determinism? So these, uh, these two pieces in my um, study of the Buddhist teachings connect very intimately with the Buddhist teachings on karma which is the topic that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And so this is a kind of, to me, this is where, you know, why this kind of arises at this point in, in this flow of talks. 
because it's very connected with these, this teaching on, on karma. And so just a, a kind of a brief summary of what the teaching on karma is, just to remind you, those of you who've been here and listening, a little bit of a context setting for those of you who haven't heard uh, much about this teaching before. So the basic uh, law of karma, uh, the karma, karma is a word in the Pali, or in the Sanskrit, kama is the Pali word. Um, karma is, uh, means, basically means action. And the teachings on karma are a teaching about how actions come to be and how actions um, result in particular consequences. So the, the, the kind of basic way to understand what the Buddha taught about ka- karma is that when we take actions based out of greed, aversion, or delusion, so actions that are based out of a kind of a, uh, an unwholesome tendency of mind, then suffering tends to follow. And in a simple way, suffering follows because our system, our human system, has a kind of a process whereby whatever we tend to do tends to become what we do in the future. And so, you know, when we act a lot out of greed, aversion, and delusion, that tends to be reinforced. And so we tend to act out of greed, aversion, and delusion more in the future. So that, uh, the Buddha framed that in a simple statement. Whatever one frequently ponders, that becomes the inclination of the mind. And we know this. You know, this is a, this is a, a kind of a, Something that we we know. We know that when we do something a lot, it becomes more habitual. And it is possible for us to break habits. It doesn't get hardwired. So that's something else we know. It's hard. It's hard to break habits. They get very deeply conditioned, but they're not impossible to shift and change. So this is what we know based on our kind of conventional everyday experience. So whenever we act out of greed, aversion, delusion, it tends to create more greed, aversion, and delusion. And the Buddha's teaching on karma is also that it tends to create unpleasantness in our experience. And that that's the result of acting out of greed, aversion, and delusion is unpleasantness in our experience. When we act out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, or you know, the opposites of greed, aversion, and delusion, and to put it more positively, Non-greed would be um, generosity, giving, offering. Non-aversion would be connectedness or love. And non-delusion would be wisdom. And so if we act out of generosity, love, and wisdom, our... um, our experience goes in another direction. It tends to move in the direction of more happiness, of, of freedom, of, of release from these, these kind of constrictions of, uh, of these habits of mind around greed, aversion, and delusion. And so when we act out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, the tendency of what happens is we tend to create more Wisdom, love, and generosity, non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. So that becomes the incl- more the inclination of the mind. And it tends to create pleasant experience. 
So one piece around, well, a couple pieces to point to uh, around karma again is, um, so our actions have consequences, but it's not simply the action that has the consequence. There's uh, an understanding in the, the Buddha's kind of deeper teachings on the law of karma and of his understanding of the mind that, um, again, as I said, when we act based on greed, aversion, and delusion, that tends to head us in the direction of suffering. When we act out of a non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, tends to act, uh, act uh, head us in the direction of happiness. The action itself may be identical. What actually is done in the world, the outward manifestation of the action, may look the same in both cases. And so we can't say in the Buddhist understanding of this um, unfolding of events in our lives that it's action in the world that, that conditions the future uh, or conditions the unfolding of what happens to us. It is, in the Buddha's understanding, the underlying motivation that's more potent. And so, um, we may, uh, an example like, um, um, you know, taking, taking ourselves out of a, um, a situation where somebody is, you know, being, you know, maybe a work situation that feels a little toxic, that feels somewhat toxic to us. You know, we, we might um, decide to take ourselves out of that situation based on um, aversion and hatred to the people, the situation, feeling like, you know, they're, they're creating this toxicity and I'm just kind of the hapless, like, receiver of it. And, and so there's, there, we might take ourselves out of a, of, a, of a situation like that, out of hatred and aversion. And we might take ourselves out of a situation like that based on compassion and understanding that this is not a helpful situation for me to be in right now. Same action in the world, very different mind states. And it's very likely in a situation like that there might be some mix of the two motivations. And, you know, if there is, so, so sometimes when I'm, I'm talking to people around, you know, t- making choices and taking action and seeing that there are these mixed motivations, yeah, I hate this situation. And I know that I can't stay in this situation any longer because it is dangerous for me or it is, it is damaging. It's creating a, um, suffering here. And so it is time to take myself out of that situation. So we might have mixed motivations. And the, you know, what I like to encourage people is if you see that there are mixed motivations, recognize and acknowledge that that, 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 you know, that unhelpful motivation is there, that motivation out of hatred is there. But see if there can be a little bit more connection to the more wholesome motivation of realizing, yeah, this is not helpful. 
acknowledge the unwholesome motivation, but see if the action can be more connected with the wholesome motivation. And so this is, this is a way in which we can begin to kind of be in alignment with the, um, the teaching of karma, the understanding that when we, when we take action out of, if, if we take action out of hatred, that tends to condition more hatred. When we take action out of compassion, it tends to condition more compassion in our, in our minds and hearts. And so the, the, um, the underlying motivation and intention are, are really what is, is most important in the Buddha's understanding of how, our, how the consequences of our actions unfold. So that's a little piece around, around the, in, the, the, the intention side. And this intention and motivation is very connected to choice. You know, this question of in free will about choice. Do we have a choice? Can we make a choice in a situation? So... Our, our human system, I think, is designed in a, in a way that, you know, we do have choice. We have, um, our minds can, like, reflect on, weigh options, kind of model the future, recognize this action might lead to this, this action might lead to this. We have this capacity in our minds, we have the capacity to reflect back on things that have happened in the past. This happened in the past. It led to those consequences. Hmm, maybe I should try this this time. So our system has this self-reflective capacity. And we know this. We know it has this self-reflective capacity. And I think this is a big place why it feels like we have free will. You know, because we have this capacity. If you think about animals... Um, you know, more more basic, uh, more um, you know, like mice or uh, you know e- you know simpler creatures. They probably don't have this reflective capacity. Even more complex animals like lions and um, you know cats and dogs probably don't have much of this. They do have some of it. You can see it actually. You can see that. Um, animals learn from the consequences of their, of their actions. You know, they do experiments, you know. You give give a, a mouse a shock and it stops doing that thing. You know, so, so there is this capacity of learning that, that goes on. Probably not the, necessarily the capacity of, you know, the, 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 the deeper future weighing of the consequences, the reflection on the past. I think it's more immediate in... in uh, in simpler creatures, and so in um, you know in the in the in the realm of the um, you know, we are in the animal world. We are animals, but the complexity of our system includes this reflective capacity to make decisions based on history and projection into the future. So we have that capacity, and. Um, Many animals, I think, don't necessarily have that capacity. You know, uh, 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 lions and creatures in the wild do what they do because 
it's kind of more hardwired what they do. It's got, if there's less of this kind of, you know, we're, we're more like, um, I mean, a computer analogy here. Uh, this may make sense to some of you. Um, so, um, um, uh, like, animals tend to have more um, hardwired uh, programs. It's like if you have a computer and you've um, programmed this computer to do this thing by burning the circuits of that computer. The circuits can be burned in one way or another, but those circuits are burned. And so it's like you can't necessarily change the functioning of that computer very easily. You have to replace like uh, hardware parts to do that. And then you might have a different, you know, different kind of computer which is um, programmed based on software. It's not burned into the computer. It's, it's um, you know, it's, it's, it's bits. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a program. It's an application. So we have all these apps on our phones and our iPads. And, you know, if you, if you have this app, it will do this thing. If you, if you use this app, it will do that thing. And so the, the application, and then those applications can be changed, you know. They find problems with the application. You don't have to, like, get a whole new phone. You just download the new application. So the, I think our human system is more like software. It's more like that, that it's possible to change it based on this reflective capacity that we have, this capacity, past, future, seeing past, engaging in the future. And yet, still, so there are choices that we can make. And so in a very fundamental definition of free will, we have free will. Because we can choose different outcomes. You know, that, the, that this um, uh, looking at situations, we can weigh options. We can reflect on the past, think about that, reflect on the future, think about what might happen, and make choice, choices dependent on that. And, and yet, in the Buddhist understanding, those choices... Well, those choices are conditioned. They are conditioned based on what we did experience in the past, what we've learned in the past. They're based on our understanding of what might happen as we move into the future. And what I'd also say is, for most of us, a very natural movement of our system towards well-being. You know, we want to move in the direction of well-being. We want to be, we want to be happy. Now, this is a kind of very basic uh, human animal movement to move towards pleasure and away from pain. And so our choices, what cho- the choices that we make, um, are kind of that, that natural movement of the human system towards well-being. That's a, that's a kind of very fundamental condition at play in the choices we make. And then um, the, uh, what we've learned in the past about what will lead us to happiness is also fundamental in the choices we make. So the, um, uh, the choices that we make in this moment are conditioned. And so in some definitions of free will, that might mean that we don't have free will. 
So again, you know, looking at these different definitions of free will. You know, it's like for some people, if, you know, looking at choice as conditioned, it's like, well, then if choice is conditioned, I'm not the one choosing it. So, and besides in the Buddhist understanding, there's no self anyway. There's not, you know, there's not, not an I that chooses anything. So, you know, how could there even be any idea of free will? And so this may be actually the ultimate answer in the Buddhist teaching is that um, free will is not relevant. It's not relevant concern. What's of concern is what leads us towards happiness, what leads us towards moving away from greed, aversion, and delusion, what leads us towards moving, uh, what leads us towards greed, aversion, delusion, refraining from those things, moving towards these things, and we do have this, there's this agency inside that can weigh and weigh options, learn, recognize, understand, oh, that's led me to suffering in the past. Maybe I should choose this. And so there's this, this functioning. It's not a self doing that. It's not an I or me doing that. It's a process doing that. So the, um, and that the Buddha's, you know, teaching really is, I would say it's more about freedom than free will. What leads to freedom from being caught in these uh, habits of greed, aversion, and delusion? You know what we when we are not mindful, when we're not uh, present for what's going on in the present moment, when we are not able to be self-reflective in the present moment about the past and the future. Not able to be aware of what's happening now. Not able to, you know, uh, bring that kind of awareness or consciousness into reflection, into our reflections of our choices. We don't have free will. We are acting strictly based out of our conditioning. The habits, the things that we have done will be the things that we do. And so this, this piece where, you know, being caught in this, you know, realm of greed, aversion, delusion, we're kind of hooked there when we are not able to see that happening, you know, when we're not able to be present in the present moment, when we're, so, so there, <coughs> there's not free will in that situation. We're more like the animals just doing what they're programmed to do. But with mindfulness, you know, with this kind of capacity to be aware, we, there's, there's that possibility for reflection and choice. A possibility for uh, weighing options. And in weighing those options, you know, one of the things that, you know, one of the conditions that comes into play in weighing those options is, you know, an understanding of what does lead us to more happiness. And, you know, historically, maybe before we met the Buddhist teaching, before we uh, began to investigate our minds with mindfulness, 
we might have thought that following through on greed and following through on aversion was the only way to happiness. It feels so much like when we make choices, when we make decisions and choices, that, that greed and aversion are some of the main kind of motivators for choice making. And so, you know, especially when we're caught in that domain of, of uh, being informed by aversion or informed by greed, it's hard for uh, the mind to recognize or understand that there are other motivations that are possible, that, that other, other movements of mind will motivate us to act, that love will motivate us to act, compassion will motivate us to act. And so when we're caught in that domain, in that realm of greed, aversion, and delusion, it's hard to step out of it. But then hearing the teachings that there are other motivations It is possible to recognize these motivations of greed, aversion, delusion. Hold them with mindfulness and not act on them because of the understanding that acting on them is not helpful. So so when we learn something of this this law of karma, this, this teaching around karma, that these actions based on greed, aversion, delusion tend to lead us to suffering, we get a little pause when we're aware, when we're mindful. We get this option of not acting and maybe choosing to respond based on a different motivation, based on compassion or love or wisdom. I recently read that there's a a group of philosophers, psychologists that that have said, we don't have free will because they've done these studies that say, you know, that show that by the time we become aware of a choice that's been made, so there's, there's a way in which they, they did this study where they asked people to like sit still and then move their hand to do something. And then they were asked to, in this experiment, somehow they were asked to... Um, make some kind of a gesture, maybe a nod or something, when they uh, recognized that they were going to move their hand. So when they recognized before they moved their hand that they were going to move their hand. So they, they, they did this experiment where they, they checked into that. And um, uh, they found, because they were doing um, e, you know, brainwave studies at the same time, they found that they knew, like, 555 milliseconds before the action based on the brain waves that the person was about to act. And some 200 milliseconds later, the person reported that they knew they were about to act. And so the, the, the psychologist here basically said, the action arose and then the recognition that you were going to act arose. The, uh, the mental intention arose and then the recognition that you were going to act arose and so that, that they, they basically said, this means there's no free will. But what they did say is maybe there's free won't. Because when you recognize that that action has arisen, you know, that that intention has arisen, one can then choose not to follow through on that action. The recognition of the, of the, of the intention arising, we can choose not to act. So this is an interesting perspective on the question of free will, you know. <laughs> Maybe there's not free will, but there's free won't. Um, let me just... Okay. <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead. 
th- those are interesting studies, and um, I've had the experience, maybe you all have, of, of um, someone, I realize I don't want to do it, maybe someone said not to or whatever, but I'm all, the instruction's already been given, and I literally can't stop. Yes, yes, there, I've had that experience, too, that, that, that it's kind of far enough in the process that you, you can't really see it. And so I actually think, you know, so they say, they say, you know, okay, so this intention to move arose before the person was aware that the intention to move arose. They were working with non-meditators in this uh, subject, in this, in this study. And there's a lot of uh, studies around the, the kind of power of mindfulness in terms of revealing these subtler kinds of motivations in our mind. So I'd be curious to see this study in a, in a mindfulness kind of realm. Can a person who's practiced, you know, who's kind of like got the, the master, you know, done 10,000 hours of meditation, that's usually what they use in these, in these things to say somebody's a master at something, 10,000 hours of meditation. Um, can that person see the intention sooner than that, what, 200 milliseconds before they're about to move, before they move. I think they probably can, based on my own experience in seeing, you know, this, this gradation of when I notice the intention. And what I'd say there is that, you know, you've caught the intention a little bit later. You know, they say that that free won't operates within 150 milliseconds. And so if you've not seen the intention until you're within that 150 millisecond time frame, probably won't be able to stop it. It'll just be, it'll be going. So, so, you know, that's another thing. But I think what happens and what I've seen in my own experience, the power of mindfulness to reveal that subtler kind of choice, that subtler, you know, the, the sooner and sooner, ah, oh, this is the direction the mind is heading. Is that a good idea? Able to weigh the options. Very quickly, the mind can see this. And making that choice to either act or not act based on that intention and seeing, you know, the the kind of motivation that goes with it. And so is this free will? You know, I think it depends on how you define free will. (laughs) Some people would say, you know, no. Others, yes. Um, Let's see, there's another piece here. Oh, something I found interesting, um, you know, Plato, um, the first, one of the first uh, people I looked at was Plato, and um, the definition that Plato gave of free will, or freedom, is very similar to the Buddha. It's like, freedom for Plato is a kind of self-mastery attained by developing virtues of wisdom, courage, and temperance resulting in one's liberation from the tyranny of base desires. So we could say, freedom is attained by the cultivation of wisdom, effort, generosity, and love, resulting in liberation from the tyranny of greed, aversion, and delusion. Very similar kind of definition of freedom, of what freedom is, and the possibility of you know, moving in the direction of freedom, that, that possibility of moving in the direction of freedom exists. We see it in our uh, 
experience. You know, the, the, my, own, my own practice, my own experience has freed me of so much of the habits and patterns of my mind. I see it in, in students. I see how much this awareness in the moment, and I think a lot of it does come to this kind of lowering this horizon of the subconscious and beginning to see these intentions at play and what's motivating them. And recognizing, you know, as we, as we um, engage in this practice and recognize, you know, oh, this action, this kind of action leads to suffering, this kind of action leads to more happiness, that more basic kind of programming of our system of movement to happiness, movement to well-being, begins to operate. Now, is it, is it me that chooses that? Or is it the system's kind of natural orientation? It's a lot of the system's natural orientation. And yet, in the way that humans work, um, the, the choices that we make are, are very related to what we believe leads to happiness and leads to suffering. And so when we um, believe that getting all this material stuff, acting on greed is going to make us happy, that's how we're going to act. And then we see, we do possibly recognize that we suffer when we lose things, that we're afraid to lose things, but we don't necessarily connect that with having acted on greed. We may, we may put that out into the world and say, well, it's the world's fault, or, or maybe I did do something wrong, or I don't know what. But, you know, so the, you know, there's this kind of, um, uh, you know, the mind is acting based on that belief that acting on that greed is what's helping me. But as we begin to explore in, a, in our mindfulness practice that acting on greed, when we see actually acting on greed, in the moment of acting on greed, in the moment of greed arising in this moment, there's already a constriction. There's already pain. Not only to mention that acting on greed, holding on to something, saying this is where I'm going to find happiness is doomed to produce suffering because whatever we're holding on to is, is impermanent and is destined to... Uh, pass away at some point and so if we're holding on to that thing as our uh, place to find reliable happiness it's going to end and that happiness is going to end and so this kind of happiness around greed and there is a form of happiness that comes by getting what we want getting rid of what we don't want that kind of happiness is not so reliable and so the the buddha was interested in a more reliable kind of happiness something that's not dependent on the conditions of the world so this, uh, you know, looking at um, our intentions as we begin to look at what's going on at this deeper level and seeing when this, you know, when aversion arises uh, in the mind, if, as we see, if we see this intention is arising in connection with aversion, we see that we're already kind of constricted right now in this moment. We're already suffering and because of that natural movement of our human system towards well-being, the mind begins to reorient and let go of that. It doesn't require a me needing to do that. Again, this kind of question of free will becomes almost irrelevant here. And yet the conditions of learning and hearing about the Dharma affect our choices. And so if we understand and believe, you know, so if, if, our, if our belief is kind of more in alignment with this teaching on karma, 
then we will, our minds will begin to choose different things. And as we begin to um, experience the world through understanding the lens of this law, we begin to, um, uh, it's, like, it's like our understanding of that law of karma begins to be more verified. It's not just somebody's idea about how things work. It's not just the Buddha's kind of making it up and saying, you know, this is how things work. Through his own exploration of his experience, he began to recognize, oh, this seems to be how the, the world, how human beings function. You know, when we act out of greed, aversion, delusion, unpleasantness, suffering tends to follow. So the, the law of karma is kind of an expression of a natural law of how things happen in our, in our lives. And, you know, if we, if we begin to uh, live in alignment with that law, we tend to, you know, living in alignment with that law and not, not fighting that law, not trying to uh, um, make it something else, then our minds begin to move more in the direction of letting go of greed, aversion, and delusion. So, you know, this, this natural law, we can think of the natural law of um, karma as, and I've mentioned this in the past few weeks, it's very similar to another, other natural laws like the law of gravity. You know, do we feel like we don't have free will because we can't jump into the air and fly? We know that it's not part of the natural nature of things. And so likewise, you know, when we come into alignment with this law of karma, our choices begin to move us in the direction of freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion. And this is the true freedom. As Plato pointed to, this liberation from the tyranny of our base desires. The Buddha, freedom from greed, freedom from aversion, freedom from delusion. This, this is freedom. Hmm. I have a lot more to say, but let's see. I'll pick and choose here. I haven't talked much about the deterministic piece. Um, yeah, it's kind of been embedded in there a little bit. Um, you know, at the, the, the teaching on karma points to that choices, you know, so choices made out of greed, aversion, and delusion will lead towards unpleasant consequences. Choices out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion will tend to lead towards pleasant consequences. That is conditioned, and yet... It's not, in, not deterministic in the way in the time of the Buddha determinism was understood or one of the ways determinism was understood. There were probably many ways back at the time of the Buddha that determinism was understood. <laughs> um, um, but there, were, there was some sense that if you did a particular action that um, particular consequences would follow. 
And not just pleasant, unpleasant consequences, but particular, like if you, you know, if you, if you stole from somebody, then at some point in the future, somebody would steal from you. You know, that kind of thing, that, that it's, it's kind of lock, locked in. And that there's, there's no way, once that action has happened, that those consequences will unfold. And so the Buddha's understanding, that, so that's a form of determinism, that kind of, this will lead to this. It's a causality kind of notion of determinism. The Buddha has a more of a, of a conditionality. So conditionality rather than causality. And the, condition, the conditionality says that the conditions, so there, there's the, the you know, actions out of greed, aversion, and delusion will at some point, either immediately or at some future point, will cause pleasantness or unpleasantness to arise. You know, acting out of greed, aversion, and delusion will cause unpleasantness to arise at some point. But the conditions in which that is experienced can lead to vastly different experiences. And that, that experience or that action, that action made from that choice can be affected based on conditions, based on conditions that happened in the past, based on the conditions that are happening now, and based on conditions that unfold in the future. And so things that we've done in the past can affect how this particular a choice unfolds. Things that we're doing now, whether we're mindful or not, for instance, can affect how that choice unfolds. And maybe, maybe in terms of like the intensity of the pleasantness or unpleasantness, in terms of whether we're able to receive and respond to that pleasant unpleasantness with skillfulness or unskillfulness. These are some of the different consequences that can play out. And the choice now, because, because the understanding of the results of a particular choice aren't necessarily immediate, they may play out at some point in the future. So any time between now and the time that thing plays out in the future, whatever we do between now and then can also affect how that consequence unfolds. And so from the Buddhist perspective, the, the, the consequences of karma, there's a causality in terms of the pleasantness, unpleasantness, peace, but not in terms of how it plays out in the, the larger world, you know, whether we, you know, get imprisoned or, you know, have a big house or have a relationship. It's like all of that is, is, is not uh, defined so much in the teaching of karma. It's, it's, it's about the, you know, the action leading to a result of pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And then the, 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 um, the experience of that, the Buddha said in one teaching, the experience of that can be very different depending on the conditions. I last time talked about the salt crystal analogy. You know, he said that if you have a teaspoon of salt and you put it into a glass, the water's not going to be very drinkable. Maybe a tablespoon. I think a teaspoon could be drinkable. But a tablespoon of salt into a glass of water is not going to be very drinkable. If you put that same tablespoon of salt in a vast pond of clear, clean water, and then you take a glass of that water, it will be drinkable because the the salt is kind of diluted by the conditions of the purity of the, the larger amount of water. 
And so the conditions of what that, of what that salt is put into in the present moment matters in terms of whether the, the water is drinkable or not. And then in terms of the future unfolding, it's like if you envision having a, a cup of water, putting a tablespoon of salt into it, then realizing, oh, <laughs> that's not drinkable. Let me dilute it. You know, so you can affect by future action whether that water then can become drinkable. So this is, this is the way in which the the Buddha's understanding differed in terms of determinism from the teachings at the time of, 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 the, of the day that he had. So, is there free will? You know, I don't think we can really say yes or no because it really depends on how you define free will. Um, but as I said, you know, it's a, so maybe in the Buddhist term we could talk, that, talk more about conditioned will there is an agency that we have. You know, there's an agency that happens in our system based on this reflective capacity of mind, this, this capa- the capacity that our minds have to think back, model into the future, have that sense of free won't, of, of not engaging in something. And so there's a conditioned will. In, in um, I mentioned a little bit ago that in... Um, you know, when we're caught by greed, aversion, and delusion, you know, we don't have a lot of choice there. We're simply acting based on our habits of mind. You know, if we t- we're acting out of the same old movements that we've conditioned in the past, uh, out of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so in that situation, we don't have a lot of free will, or free won't. <laughs> you know, we, we, it's hard for us to stop the movement because we're not seeing those choices. When the mind is completely free, my understanding, when the, when, in, when the Buddha talks about complete freedom, freedom from greed, freedom from aversion, freedom from delusion, my understanding is that those intentions do not arise anymore. There's no need for that free won't to say, oh, don't act on that. This is how it's described, that the non-arising of greed, aversion, and delusion is freedom. It's not that, that they arise and you're really good at saying no, 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 no. It's that they don't arise. And so the mind naturally chooses out of wisdom, out of compassion, out of love. So the system chooses the direction leading to well-being in that case. It's not, it's not that the the need to not act out of greed, aversion, and delusion. And yet, even in that kind of scenario, you know, there can be multiple actions that we see that would be, you know, wholesome. And our minds will make a choice based on best information that we have from the best, best modeling that we have in the future. And so even in that situation, there's some choice that may be made. It's not like, it's not like, Oh, the, there's only one wholesome action that can happen here. And so again, there's this choice that comes into play based on conditions. Again, it is, it is conditioned based on what we've learned and understood, what our minds project as being maybe the most helpful thing to happen. And 
And so, you know, in the, in, in the two ends of things, when we're completely caught, when greed, aversion, and delusion no longer arise, um, you know, no need, you know, we don't have access to free won't in the one, and we don't have need of it in the other. In the middle, in the middle place, where, which is where most of us are, there's a lot of seeing of choice and uh, recognizing. Sometimes we're caught, as you mentioned, and we see the choice too late, and it's like, oh, okay. And when that happens, what we do is like learn from the consequences of that and do the best we can in cleaning up the mess, if there's a mess that happens as a result of that. And there'll be t- other times when we do see the choices more um, earlier and can make a choice, can choose to not engage out of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so what I, I, you know, I like to say is like, so it, it feels like we have a choice there. It feels like we can, can choose. And so if it feels like you can choose, make a skillful choice as best you can. Do the best you can to make a skillful choice. It will, it's conditioned. The best you can in making a skillful choice in that moment is conditioned. This is the understanding of the Buddha. So not completely free, but also not completely determined. So another piece around this deterministic place or this choice place is uh, a piece that I read about in some of these articles about free will is that um, uh, there's a, you know, whether the choice is, is determined, so this kind of you know, different levels or gradations of determinism. If the, if the choice is completely determined externally, not subject to an internal reflection, free will would not be possible. And there's debate about whether there's any internal choice that can be made in, this, in the philosophical, psychological realm. But in the, uh, in the Buddhist understanding, this, this, there's this internal reflective capacity that does participate in the present moment about the choices we make. So, given this, you know, there's internal things going on that affect the choices that we make. Some of what that, you know, some of the, the what affects us are our beliefs. Some of what affects the choices that we make is what we believe. And so if we believe that there is no free will, that everything is determined, that's likely to affect a passivity a sense of hopelessness, a sense of not possible to engage and change, unfold, you know, have a, have a say in how things unfold. If we believe there's no free will, that has, effect, has an effect on the unfolding of our experience. I don't know. I mean, you know, free will, not free will. I think it's really useful to act as if we have free will. Because that understanding of th- that this being has choices that can affect the future consequences of our experience, that's how spiritual practice unfolds. 
If we don't think it's possible to change the unfolding of our lives, we would never begin this path. We would never put up with the, wow, the humility, the humbling uh, seeing of the patterns and habits of our mind. We just go, oh, well, it's not possible to change it, so why bother? It is possible to change it. And that possibility of change is conditioned. So, I don't think we, I have an answer here, but I think it's useful to behave as if there is free will. So, uh, there's a couple minutes for, for comments or questions. If there's anything, yeah, why don't you take the mic? So uh, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit more about the role of intention and karma. So it's clear that the kind of intentions that we have matters because this is how the action gets initiated and that's fine. But I would also say that most of us have had a common experience when we strongly have strong intention to do something and it doesn't materialize. For example, most people who come to Buddhist gatherings have intention to meditate every day, even strong intention, and yet, you know, we know what happens. Or uh, to give an example in the outside world, most people want to take a good care of their health and lose weight, and yet we know what yeah. happens. So, I can, yeah. so this, this is a question of different levels of intention, basically. So there's, you know, levels of intention, which is kind of more what we'd say, you know, kind of the broader level of intention of aim of a life, kind of, you know, aim of, of um, you know, what I'd like to do in my life. So more goals or plans or aspirations. So that's a, that's a level of intention that affects or, you know, that, that kind of unfolds some of, you know, we, we set bigger intentions, bigger plans, and then other levels of intentions come into play. Um, a subtler level of intention is um, just in this moment, the choice that's made. So right in a particular moment, I talked about in that study that there's a kind of uh, a, a subtle movement that happens in the mind before an action happens. Uh, this is, and we could, the, the Buddhist uh, teachings call this um, chetana, it's a, it's a very subtle factor in the mind, this little blip that's like b- about to move, about to act, about to do. So that's a present moment kind of experience. In the present moment, that intention to do. And the motivation connected with that, you know, whether, it's, whether the motivation connected with that is greed, aversion, delusion, that that's where the karma unfolds. And so the, the larger intentions, those are broader um, mm-hmm. One, they're broader. They're, they, they do affect the unfolding of karma, like the intention to meditate every day does, can have an effect on, or the, the, in, uh, the effect on our choices that we make in the moment. And yet there are times when the choices that we make in the moment are made based on, you know, deeper habits and currents of, of the mind. And so that, that, that present moment intention is the one which karma operates off of. Not the not the broader uh, intention. 
Uh-huh. Oh, that's really, really useful. So, so uh, would we say then that present moment intention that's not based to glitter virgin and delusion, that's the uh, determinant of karma without consequences? That will what? Uh, that is determinant of karma without consequences. For example, I can uh, very strongly desire to practice metta right now. Like my moment intention is not based on greed, aversion, and delusion. I want to do metta, but however, I lack skill. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the intention there, the, the, the movement of mind, the wholesomeness of that has a consequence. The, the wholesomeness of mind there has a consequence. So it is that, that present moment choice is, is where the karma unfolds from. The skill, as I said earlier, um, you know, the, the actual action mm-hmm. is less important than the motivation in terms of the unfolding of, con- of karma. Because it helps with freeing the it, mind. It helps course. train okay. the mind. It helps the mind move okay. in that direction. Thanks so much. And we need to stop. So thank you all. There are some schools of Christianity hold, hold that the more addicted you are to vice, the less free will you have, and then the more virtuous you become, the more free will.